to the Golfing Mind, the podcast which looks at the game of golf in general, but the mental game of golf in particular. Uh, the mental side of golf is a maze, it's a puzzle. It's, uh, there's no definitive answer to it. There are, but there are general um, agreements, I think, that most uh, golf psychologists or uh, people who study and research the world of uh, peak performance would agree. It may not be the same for everybody. I've often said to my clients that I think we all have a um, a four-digit or maybe a five-digit um, code inside our head that uh, allows us to access our best mental state to play golf. But it's not the same for any two people. And that's why I think we can talk about generalities. It's the same in the golf swing. You know, there's a there's no absolutely perfect grip. There's an agreed grip, but I... Um, I know people who have a baseball grip. I know people who interlock, overlap, a strong right hand, weak right. I mean, but they hit the ball pretty good. And I think it's a lot to do with our personalities. It's a lot to do with how we perceive and manage stress. Um, so to say there's a one-size-fits-all would be um, wrong. But I do think there are certain guiding principles um, and I write about these, and I've talked about these a lot over the many podcasts. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of focusing on the target and not the process. But I, I know of other golf teachers and mental game instructors who would say the opposite. that say focus on the process, not the outcome. Um, so, that you know, it's horses for courses. I'm not saying my, uh, my approach is the best, but I'm certainly saying um, it's helped a lot of people. And if you try and it doesn't help, then try something else. But going back to guiding principles, I think the idea of uh, we have a hunter brain, so we need to be target fixated as opposed to process fixated. And the process fixation can lead to, I think, other challenges, but it can also solve a lot of things. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm digging a hole for myself here, and that wasn't the intention of this podcast. This podcast is to just answer a few questions. I get questions from uh, listeners and often there are you know questions you see a lot um you do get some obscure questions which you wonder what the heck's going on and you think what 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 do you expect me to do with that but there's other questions which you hear quite a lot and probably the number one question i get is uh, to do with stress and stress management so what i thought i'd do today is just look at three questions um, that i've received over the last couple of months so the first question I've had a couple of times is, is there a best temperament for golf? And if so, what is it? Now, I think it's a great question. And I would put it, I always answer it differently. I, I don't know if there's a best temperament because there are golfers out there who are just absolutely, um, you know, like beyond board. They show no emotion, you know. Uh, there's golfers there who are quite temperamental. Uh, John Ram is a good example, but you can see he's learned how to dial that in. But I'm sure his temperament is that sort of fiery Latin temperament, if one was going to generalize, which I try to avoid doing. Um, but, you know, and there's other players who wear their heart on their sleeve and they're sort of visibly upset and they bang a club, they get annoyed. But, you know, they're both shooting at two, three, four, five, six under par um, throughout the year. So they're obviously contrasting temperaments, but they're both capable of playing very good golf. 
So I guess the question is, do I believe there's a best temperament for golf? Um, well, here's what I think. I think that we do uh, our best when we are in control, but have a heightened awareness. So when we are have a heightened awareness and we're in control, then I think that's the best temperament to be. And I think a place you would see that would be race car drivers, um, pilots, um, surgeons, so people who are in stressful situations and have to make uh, decisions and execute those decisions. Now, golf isn't life and death, like being a pilot or a surgeon is, but there is definitely research to show that you know people who are able to sort of stay contained and in control are more likely to execute well than people who are in a heightened state. And what I have found, and again, it's just a sort of a, an obscure observation and there's no scientific data to back it up. So this is me expressing just a belief that many of the best golfers I've got have got what I call uh, logical or binary brains. And it can be accountants, uh, engineers, mathematicians, people who like cold hard logic uh, to make the decisions. And, you know, they're able in golf to break golf down into a series of logic decisions. So from that perspective, I think people who've got very logical um, and unimaginative brains have a sort of a natural predisposition to having a temperament which is going to be of service to them. But as to being a best temperament for golf, I don't think there is. I think there might be a temperament which gives you the edge, but I don't believe there's a best temperament. I mean, one of the most uh, famous angry golfers was a guy called Tommy Bolt or Tommy Thunderbolt. But the truth of the matter was they often talk he threw clubs or he broke clubs and he was, people would come to see him do it. And if you read about his background, he was actually an extremely nice fellow off the course. And I think that he'd got this um, reputation for being the wild man and being the angry man. So I think when he hit a bad shot, he sometimes played up to the uh, crowd or played up to the uh, reputation he had because it was all good for drawing in a crowd. And the next question I get asked um, often is, how do you overcome a block? Or for a block, you could say a hex. So for a lot of people, they say, you know, I just can't putt. You know, I, I leave my putt short or long. I can't get out of bunkers, which is something I can profess to having a degree of experience with. Um, or they've got the yips with their driver. There's a particular hole which jinxes them. Or there's a particular shot. It's interesting when... Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick won the um, US Open. He said on the 18th hole he's in the bunker and throughout the season the one shot he hasn't enjoyed or played well is the long bunker shot. So what's he faced with his uh, shot to the green on 18 on the 72nd hole with his one shot in the lead? It's a bunker shot and he played it to such a level of excellence that we will be talking about that shot or it will be written into the annals of golf um, many for many years to come. But what was really wonderful to watch, and I, I've mentioned this to a few people, is he didn't hesitate, he didn't break his routine. And yet, if you look at some players, I, I mean, some players would huff and puff and put their hands on the shoulder, on their hips, and think, oh, this is so unfair, this just isn't, you know... And I think someone that did that, um, occasionally I've spoken to players and officials who said Seve Ballesteros would sometimes go out of his way to make a pretty straightforward shot look as though it was much more difficult than it was. And I think a good example of um, that, I, I'm not sure of the source, but I, I, if I read this or was told this, so forgive me if I've got it, the wrong source, but 
I understand that Tom Watson's caddy went on to caddy for um, Greg Norman and uh, someone asked them what was the difference between the two players and the, the caddy said, well, um, if their ball landed in the fairway in a divot, he said, uh, Greg Norman would sort of put his hands in his hips and sort of be unhappy about the situation. And they sort of look at the caddy and look at the hole and look at the ball and sort of huff and puff and sort of um, sort of not be happy with his lot in life. And he said, but if Tom Watson was in the fairway and he'd land in the divot, Tom would pull a club out and look at the caddy as though to say, watch this. So again, it, that comes down to um, approach. And uh, so how do you use, how do you overcome these blocks? And I personally think if you have a block with putting or bunkers or whatever, you need to go back and rebuild. You need to find a new model to have faith in because what you're currently doing is something you have no faith in. So if it's your putting, I would change your putter and I would get a putting lesson. If it's bunkers, I would go and invest in bunker lessons and learn a completely new approach. Maybe even buy new uh, bunker iron, whatever, depending on what club you use. If it comes to driving, same thing. Maybe change your driver, go and get some lessons, but find something else to believe in because at the moment you don't believe in yourself. And if there's a particular shot you really don't like, don't play the shot. So if you don't like having a wedge over the bunker, um, find another way to get it over the bunker. Maybe take a little seven iron and hit it, a little flippy shot. Maybe play around the bunker. Maybe just put put that shot out of the equation if you can. Otherwise, it's it's in the hard yard. Go to the practice ground and practice, practice, practice. Um, so that is that. And the final question, which I get asked more than any other question, is how do I overcome choking? And... I guess you, you know, the answer I give to people is put yourself in more situations where you're going to have the experience of pressure and give yourself a chance to overcome it. Because as Jack Nicholas said, you only learn to win after you've discovered, you know, discovering why you lose, you know, and they always say failure is your best teacher and success comes after your last failure. We don't know how many that is. But I do think the more often you can put yourself in contention and be in pressure, the more the better your tolerance is going to get. If you get a chance to win the club championship or the weekly medal just once a year, that's going to be pressure. But if you play more competitive matches, then you'll play under pressure. So I don't think there's a magic bullet to overcoming pressure. I think some of us are more sensitive to it than others. Personally, I find myself the more pressure I'm under, the more I focus and concentrate, and the better quality golf I play. Uh, often for the first five or six holes, I'm not really giving it my all. I don't play golf for a living. I don't um, step into every shot like it's life and death. But I enjoy playing good golf, and I enjoy playing competitive golf. And um, as long as I play well, then I can be content with the result. But to overcome choking, you know, the best teacher... Is, uh, is is the golf course. So I guess I would say, you know, we can all find ourselves in a bunker with a critical and muscular out shot and then we thin it up the face and we don't get it out of the bunker and we're upset. But the more often we can put ourselves in those positions, the better we'll get at it. I would also suggest practice. Make your practice relevant. Don't go to the range and hit balls. Every shot must have a purpose when you hit it, every shot must be imagined to be competitive. And I would often say to young professionals that when you hit your 
seven irons or whatever club you're playing, imagine you're hitting your uh, approach shot to the 72nd green of a major tournament. That will focus your mind. When you go to the practice bunker, don't just try and see if you can get it out. Pick a pin location and say, okay, I've got to get down to three shots to win the major, to win this match, to break the course record. Feel it. Really, really feel it. Give it your full attention and play it with that sense of okay. I remember once playing in a, in a match at, uh, in Scotland at Muirfield and I was invited to play with uh, a member against two other members. So I was um, on my best behaviour, as I would always be at any course. And um, I'm not a great bunker player. I get to the 16th and it's, a, it's quite a steep bunker on the left-hand side of the green. But it had been raining, so it was really, the sand was sodden, it was flat, there was very little you know, easy sand to get under the, it was hard packed sand. And I'm thinking if I could choose the one shot I did not want to play, it would be this, get out of a deep bunker and 20 yards, the pin was the other side of the green. And I remember stepping up and I just thinking, right, make sure you make a good contact, follow through, do all the right things. And I did. And the ball went to about three feet, one of the best shots I've played for in a bunker at Muirfield or anywhere else for that matter. So get used to being in the situation, but practice with purpose. So those are the sort of three most common questions I get asked. So I hope there's something in that jamboree and jumble of answers that uh, may have helped you. Uh, in the meantime, as I always say, if you're really keen to improve the mental game of your golf or golf generally, explore the lessons on offer at seagagolf.com. There's a 13-week online program. There's a variety of programs where you can do it all by yourself or you can work a little bit with me and if you're on the tour or professional player, there is another program exclusively for you. Price on asking, as they often say. But um, I thoroughly hope you're enjoying your golf this summer and you're seeing improvements in areas of your game. And um, if all that fails, practice with purpose and take it a little more seriously. And I'm sure you'll see magical results. Until we speak again, all the very best.